Hey, Changemaker, welcome back. I'm your host, Julia Wicklander, and today we have a guest whose work is pivotal in shaping the narrative around gender norms, masculinities, and caregiving responsibilities. Joining me today is Dr. Tavishi Gupta, the Director of Research, Evaluation, and Learning at Equimundo. With a wealth of expertise, Tavishi delves deep into understanding the profound impact of gender norms on perpetuating violence against women and children, creating inequitable environments at home and work, and reinforcing the transmission of harmful gender identities across generations. Tavishi's journey in rigorous mixed-method research and her extensive publications have made her a leading voice in this field. She's a vital member of the Lancet Commission's Scientific Advisory Committee on Child Maltreatment and Violence Prevention, as well as the Asia-Pacific Economic Corporation Embracing Carers Group. Before joining Equimundo, Tavishi lent her expertise in a, as an independent consultant to organizations like the Overseas Development Institute, UNICEF, Plan International, and Harvard's Kennedy School. Her academic journey includes a BA and an MA in psychology from the University of Delhi and a PhD in developmental psychology from New York University. Today, we dive into a crucial conversation centered around the State of the World's Fathers 2023 report, an initiative led by Equimundo as part of the global fatherhood campaign, Men Care. This report sheds light on the urgent need to overhaul power structures, policies, and social norms surrounding caregiving responsibilities, both paid and unpaid. Dr. Tavishi shares details of their research as well as her own personal motivation for this work. I'm so grateful for her generous participation in this podcast and for sharing her own stories. She leaves me feeling hopeful for a better world where gender equality can become a reality. Thank you for being here with Dr. Tavishi Gupta and I in this important conversation. Tavishi, thank you so much for joining me on the Hey Change Maker podcast. It's a pleasure having you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk today. So it is a podcast about about change makers and with change makers. And I would love for you to start off with sharing a story from your own life of when you knew that you just had to be a part of making a positive change in the world, that you sort of felt that you wanted to be a change maker. Yeah, absolutely. There were, I mean, if I have to trace it back, there were two big incidents that happened around the same time, back around 2008. Um, I had just started my PhD at New York University. And two things happened um, that I saw a huge connection between. One of them was when in um, Mumbai, there was a terrorist attack that happened in one of the hotels. Yeah. And my father was actually in on one of the floors during that time. Oh. And it was quite a challenging moment, challenging time. We didn't have access to knowing whether he's okay or not. Um, of course, luckily, he did escape. There were, you know, armed forces who went in and were able to rescue him. Um, and so that sort of time of violence and unexplained violence was quite a uh, pivotal moment. And then within a week of that, a very, very close friend of mine was on the New York City subway 
and a group of young boys um, sort of attacked him and mm. tried to kind of steal his laptop. And, you know, and, and again, he had the presence of mind. He got into the subway and the subway door shut. Yeah. But both of these had this underpinning of something about men turning to violence as a way of being. And at the same time, parallelly, I was studying, you know, papers and articles and was being taught by incredible faculty who was, we were talking about like what it makes, what it, me what it means to be a human being. And it was so contrary to all these two events that, you know, these, both these events that, that were kind of happening in my life. And it was at, really at that moment when I realized that there is something that I need to be a part of. There's something I need to do where I am able to talk about what it means to be a human and how we're learning perhaps, you know, things about the, the opposite of that. And sort of, so that was really sort of my moment where not only it was about a change maker, but really how I got into the work, work of masculinities. Mm. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I remember that um, horrible incident um, in, in Mumbai um at the hotel and the train station and um having studied in Mumbai and got engaged outside of Mumbai and have a lot of connection to that city um it it really was uh horrible it must have been absolutely horrific having your father there I'm so sorry to hear that um so you've been a part of conducting and leading research on masculinities on fatherhood on gender equality um so what brought you to looking at, at fathers specifically? Yeah, it's a great question. So we at Equimundo, we look at, you know, healthy masculinities across multiple different domains. And care equality is one of the, the pillars that we examine and try to understand, mm -hmm. which often intersects with several other aspects of um, masculinities, whether it is violence against women and girls um, and children, whether it is, uh, you know, uh, promoting sort of male allyship, et cetera. We also know from, from lots of developmental um, field research that unpaid care work is a huge problem in the world today. Yeah. Women do disproportionately take on much of the care work. Alongside that, again, along the way of what I was saying, which is, you know, what, what makes us human beings? caring and caring for others and having empathy is what makes us human beings. In fact, mm -hmm. a lot of the social biology evolutionary theorists posit that empathy is the trait that has allowed us to survive as a species. Mm -hmm. um, so when we sort of combine those two, it was, it was quite a sort of, you know, obvious path for me to think about and for Ekimundo to think about how do we talk about fatherhood? How do we talk about men as caring men, as nonviolent mm. men? And that's sort of how that work has come about. It's part of our larger global campaign called the Men Care Campaign, which promotes fatherhood and equitable caregiving. Um, and then from that, we have a lot of research and programmatic work that comes out of that. Mm. Yeah. And the new report was recently released, the State of the World's Fathers report. Um, can you share some of the new findings from the report? Was there something, I mean, the past few years have been quite different. Um, were there any findings that surprised you? Um, can you share some of the, the main, main points? Yeah, absolutely. It's such an incredible endeavor. Um, this year, we were able to have 17 country 
partners, so organizations across 17 countries with a fantastic regional representation to be a part of this report, to support us, to guide us. We have almost 12,000 participants, which is a huge number of mm -hmm. which um, almost 7,000 are parents. We wanted to look at the perspectives of people who are parents as well as non-parents, mothers mm. and fathers as well. Um, and what we found was some of the things that kind of came out was the extent to which people, again, parents and non-parents, view care in a positive light. You know, care is often sort of called, it's a burden, you know, people, um, and, and it is in, in sort of structural ways when you look at, look at and you kind of intersected with socioeconomic difficulties or conflict, et cetera, it is a challenge. But when we asked people to talk about care, just give us three words that come to your mind when you think about care. Hmm. Overwhelmingly, the words were positive. It was about love and connection and helping. And we saw that also in the responses that parents gave, mothers and fathers, around whether they think care is enjoyable or exhausting. Mm -hmm. And we saw nine out of 10 parents actually thought that caregiving is more enjoyable than exhausting. Mm -hmm. We also saw a similar pattern around how many people, men and women again, think that share, sharing caregiving is an equal responsibility. It was 70 to 90% of parents across um, the, not the 17, but the 15 countries believe that caregiving is a shared and equal responsibility. Hmm. And many of them are willing to stand up, to vote for politicians, to put care at the center of policy agendas. Many of them actually do take part in activism around care. So it was it's surprising in the sense that most policy papers, research papers, they don't talk about the narrative of care in this way. But the 12,000 people in our sample were kind of continuously telling us across many different data points that care is important to them. It is the bedrock of all their relationships. One of the things we found was that men and women are in multiple care responsibilities. So we often see men or women as caregivers only when they're talking about their children. But in our study, we found a quarter of the sample is reporting that they're caring for their elderly or older parents, as well as their children, right? The mm -hmm. sandwich generation, right? They're yeah. caring for sort of on both ends. And so the recognition that the definition of care is so much more, that it's part of their, all their relationships that they live in, mm -hmm. and that they want care to be such a sort of firm center of, of political agenda as well. So I think that was really fascinating. Another incredible finding that we got from this report was that men and women who report being satisfied in how involved they are in care, are also one and a half times more likely to feel a sense of gratitude. Mm. So caregiving is a good thing for their own sense of well-being. Mm. Um, you know, and then and a new finding that we had as we we're beginning to sort of think of new ideas is what does caring for oneself mean for men and what are the outputs of that? So what we found was that when men report more emotional care for oneself, right? Things like taking care of their um their their mental health being connected to family and friends, expression, mm -hmm. things that underlie, right, healthy masculinities, mm -hmm. they are two to eight times more likely to care for their partner, their children, mm -hmm. their older parents. Yeah, Two to eight times. It's such an incredible number to think about. So these are some of the big findings to take away from. Yeah. From the oh, that's incredible. And it brings me to just sort of research that's been going on here in Sweden, where, or a lot of a lot of news comes out sometimes about how um, the the 
early childhood years are really difficult for relationships and how it, uh, you know, a lot of people get divorced during that time. Um, and it just, you know, I, I get very curious about sort of their, you know, the burden of care and where that lies. And, you know, I think that there is so much in this research that can really um, shed a light on that, on, on how we care for each other and how we care for ourselves. Um, so that's really interesting, um, that, that part about um, self-care for, for men. Um, and then recently as well, we've seen um, throughout the, the pandemic and, um, you know, across the world, uh, we were getting reports of increased rates of gender-based violence, um, a lot of uh, alarms went off in, in many different countries about this. Um, did any results from the report touch upon this in some way? Um, can you share a, a bit about the research that you've done in terms of, of gender-based violence in, in recent years? Yeah, we didn't uh, examine violence in this particular study, though we know it is in quite tied in with the, the notion of caregiving as well. Um, mm. But we have a study called the International Men and Gender Equality Survey. It's one of the largest surveys in the world that looks at men's perpetration of violence against women and girls. And it looks at um, you know men's attitudes, childhood experiences. And mm. that has been actually ta been taking place for over 10 years. So it is not necessarily related to the pandemic. Yeah. But it also has revealed some really kind of um, incredible findings. It, the sample we have across 33 countries is 67,000 people, of which 55,000 are men. Mm -hmm. And indeed, in the pandemic, as you said, many studies have found that gender-based violence did increase. But something we found at this images 33 country kind of global data analysis was that um, it's the younger men and men above the ages of 50 who hold the most restrictive gender attitudes, right? And so there's like a, a like a inverted U-shaped pattern around the ways in which men adhere or believe in gender norms. And the gender norms are even including justifying violence against women, whose responsibility is it to take care of a child and their home. So very kind of, you know, deeply set it, um, traditional beliefs around gender. So the men who are the youngest and the men who are the oldest held the most restrictive attitudes. And that speaks a little bit around the world in which we're living in today, right? We know there's a lot of gender uh, equality backlash that exists. There's a digital world we live in that's constantly amplifying voices of extremism and sort of right-wing ideology that makes it really challenging um, for, for something, conversations around gender equality to kind of have that weight and voice as well. Mm -hmm. um, in the pandemic, what we did find was that caregiving increased for both men and women, but a finding that came out in this State of the World's Father's Report was that women were doing more caregiving, even during the pandemic and post lockdown period. So women mm. do more hours of care work irrespective, no matter how much men and women believe it's a shared re responsibility, no, ma no matter how much um, they think of it as enjoyable and exhausting, then, then exhausting, women continue to do more care work both in the pandemic and, and post-lockdown. Now, we also know from a lot of our parenting programs that exists all over the world that um, the more women do caregiving, the more likely that household is ten can tend to have sort of more gender stereotypical beliefs, attitudes, dynamics between the couples. 
And while there isn't a specific study showing a causal relationship between violence against women and caring responsibilities, we also know that to be true in the kind of households I'm describing. So a lot of our parenting programs make sure that they are not only improving couple like relationship and communication and more equitable division of household chores, but also reducing violence against them. Mm. That's incredible. And it, I would love to just touch, go back to this U shape that you mentioned, um, because it really, um, it's fascinating. Um, and is that something that is a recent finding that it, it looks like that? Or has it always been a U shape? I mean, has it always been the case that younger men um, and men above the age of 50, you said, I think, um, have more traditional um, you know, as ad adhere to more traditional gender roles, or is this a recent development? It's a good question. And unfortunately, our images data wouldn't be able to answer that because it was cross-sectional. So it was collected at one time point in all mm. the sort of different countries that I'm talking about over the past 10 years. Yeah. But the reason why that finding has this kind of profound implications is because when you think about a lot of the kind of implicit understanding or expectation that young men, younger people are probably likely to have more equal attitudes, right? The world mm. that they're living in, it has a generational effect. And we're not seeing that in our samples, right? Over yeah. 10 years, um, over so with so many men, 55,000 men. So it does make us pause for a second and think about what could be the factors contributing to younger people having these kind of more restrictive attitudes. One of the things that I will say that we have found is that often it is in the time of transition when men are most amenable to change. So like I mentioned the parenting programs recently, we tend to try to see if we can get the men to be a part of the parenting program when they're at the prenatal or antenatal care visits hmm. because they're about to become fathers, right? So that when that transition happens, that's probably a space where there's space, room and, and perhaps you know, ways in us for them to change their thinking, their thoughts, we could kind of come in at that time. So it's possible that that could be a, that that could be something that's happening. The other thing that we also examine and look at is if we want systemic change to happen, we need to start young mm -hmm. and we need to start younger than the ages that are surveyed in the images data, which is 18 years, right? So we yeah. start young. And so one of the things that we're doing is the Global Boyhood Initiative. And the Global Boyhood Initiative looks at specifically the ages of 8 to 14 years. This developmental age is a little bit neglected in the development sector, particularly because either we tend to look at um, you know, early childhood, a very important age, or we tend to look at slightly older adolescents when they're of you know, reproduction age, possibly going into the labor force, child marriage, et cetera. But the 8 to 14 years, the psychological literature shows, is the time where gender intensification happens, mm. which means that the people around these children and the influences around these children are at its peak, and that these adolescents are beginning to kind of internalize the stereotypes about gender the most. So mm. one thing to learn from that inverted U-shape finding is we need to look at young boys and girls yeah. much younger. And that we should always continue to think about moments of transition where men could be most open to change or learnings and teachings and gender transformative um, approaches. Mm. Tavishi, this is so interesting. And it, it, it 
brings me back to one of the conversations or the few conversations I had at the Swedish Forum for Gender Equality that took place in, during the spring. And I, we did an episode on the podcast about Sweden, where I'm from, um, a country that has long been seen as a, a leader in gender equality and what it looks like today. And they actually talked about the development of how young men in Sweden today see gender equality differently than they did during, in the 70s, which is 30 years ago or more than 30 years ago. <laughs> Um, many years ago, 50 years ago. Um, so it's, I'm older than I think. Um, so it, it's just very interesting to, to see, look into that development of, of how his, is that U shape changing and is that is, yeah, I, I look forward to, to continuing to follow the research that comes out from Equimundo and the, the research that you lead, because this is, it's fascinating and it's so incredibly important um, if we're going to um, work towards gender equality. Um, I fully so, agree. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, what advice would you have for those who are working in the space of gender equality um, when it comes to including men and boys in in their programs, in um, policies, and, and so on? Yeah, we've learned a lot over multiple decades of work on, you know, what are the best practices? What are the, the ways to do this? And one of them I've already mentioned is to think about sort of moments of transition. Mm. Another one is to think about sort of the diversity of Right. Yeah. Not all men are sort of homogenous. And often when we talk about sort of men, we forget that there are all different kinds, that there's different structural barriers for different kinds of men. So, for example, men who are living in conflict, men who are living in poverty, the racial ethnic um, challenges that certain men would have in comparison to others. So there's a diversity of men that we need to constantly look for and think about and then make sure that any question we have, any research we do, any programmatic work we do is contextualized to that group of men. The other sort of big thing to think about and kind of keep in mind is always using what is known as the and approach. So the, the, the fundamental sort of thought behind the and approach is that we don't want to do work instead of um, work with men instead of women. We don't want to do work with men that harms women. We don't want to do work with men, you know, where, where women are marginalized. It's always coming from a women's rights feminist perspective. And that what that means is that we need to think about the gender binary as something that has negative implications for women and men. Mm. And so we think about gender transformative approaches as shifting you know, norms, asking men to think about their privilege, their power, also thinking about the benefits that could come to them from embodying a new type of masculinity, mm -hmm. right? The healthy masculinity. So we often tend to um, sort of stop at saying, all right, men are involved, therefore gender-based violence has stopped, which is not the case. We need to make sure it's gender transformative, but to be able to do that successfully, we need to also show men the side of masculinities that could be beneficial for them. And that's really an important lesson that we've been learning from the masculinities work as well. Mm, yeah, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And um, it's it's so important to keep that in mind also that you and women just released a, a new report on the state of, of gender equality. And it's really looking sort of dire when we when we see the, the ambitious goals that we have for, for 2030 and that we're not on track to meeting them. Um, and 
what would you see as one of sort of the main barriers that that you think should be broken down um, for us to actually reach these goals in time urgently? Yeah, it's I mean, if there was only one main barrier, that would be fantastic. But <laughs> yeah. there's so many, uh, so many kind of overlapping, intersecting barriers. I think one of the things that I'm beginning to sort of see more and more, and I also see attention being paid to it, is the ways in which digital media is being accessed, consumed. Um, what is the role that it's playing in perpetuating gender inequality? Right, because at the moment I do think that that's kind of what is being being um, mostly uh, a part of the content around that. So we've done some studies on um, you know the gaming industry and what are the kind of video games that are put out there. We're doing like a narrative analysis on that, and we found, as you could expect, you know, female characters tend to be more objectified than male characters. Male games, games that are targeted for men and um, boys, tend to be more hard than casual, etc. So I think that's one space. And we also see from our Global Boyhood Initiative that young boys are spending so much time playing these video games. So that's one of the spaces where I think we need to intervene. There's also um, a clear within the social media world, right, that's clear understanding that voices of, you know, harmful influencers are extremely amplified. So to me, I think one of the ways in which we need to really accelerate our research um, and our, our efforts is to understand and unpack this digital world and the kind of impact it's having on, I would say everybody, because it's no longer about just young boys and girls, right? Everybody's accessing um, difficult uh, media, more media that's exploiting other people. And that's, there's no kind of regulation, there's no barriers to it. So I think that's one big barrier to that. And I think that it's creating a movement around gender kind of backlash, uh, which is kind of hindering progress. Mm. Oh, I'm so I'm so happy that you mentioned this because it's it's something that we, you know, at Girls Globe work so closely with and and digital rights is something that goes beyond you know it's it's something that we as as parents can't just you know make a decision always for our children what they will be exposed to but it's also about you know advocacy for for these digital rights and making sure that these big tech companies are held accountable for the influence that they have on our children and on our teenagers and our young people um so i think yeah i'm really happy that you mentioned that because i I really do believe that it's something that has it's it's gone so quickly that the development as well that we're not you know we need to just really keep up and and hold them accountable and um and yeah and and now with the development of AI and and open source AI I mean it's 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 endless what what Im impact it could have um and it feels sometimes like we're living in this big experiment um, that's not always working out so great. Exactly. Our recent State of American Men, it's a survey with 2,000 men in the United States, um, has some findings and evidence on this. You know, more than half the men sort of, they feel like they're isolated, they're lonely, and that they can't trust anybody except for the influencers online. So we really do need to kind of move quickly on sort of finding ways to overcome the negative impacts that this this world can have without the you know as you're saying without the kind of uh, the regulation and ways for people to actually think about how do we do this in a critical meaningful thoughtful way how do we consume this content yeah yeah no absolutely um 
so in a world that looks like it does today, I mean, with with the digital development, with the many crises that we're facing from financial to food to peace and insecurity, um, and being a parent yourself, um, what brings you hope? Yeah, several things, honestly. Um, I think at a personal level, first I'll begin with that, is just seeing the number of people who work in this space, who are trying to make the world a better place. And it's they're small ripples, but they're sort of all working together for a common cause. And the more I'm in this, in this world, in this field, the more I get to meet amazing people at grassroots level, at, you know, at state level, at national level, international level, who are all trying to create change. So one of the, the personal level, you know, uh, hope kind of moments comes when I, when I get to interact with them. When I see it from an evidence perspective, in our state of the world's fathers, across the 12,000 people that I mentioned, when we talked to them about gender norms, we saw some kind of optimistic trends, right? There's still work to be done. So I'll give you a couple of statistics there. Um, one third of them, only one third agreed that mothers' jobs are to change diapers and to cook food and to take care of their children, which is much less as a figure than what we have seen in our previous research, right? So having just about one third agree with that is quite fantastic. And 80% across many countries, they disagreed that boys should not be taught to do housework. And so normalizing care, you know, I think to me, normalizing that emotional expression, healthy masculinities, teaching them young, normalizing it in your household is a ray of hope. And I'm, you know, beginning to see that. And we do that with, and, you know, sort of we do that with our GBI, Global Boyhood Initiative conversation starters. We have these conversation starters for parents of different age groups. How do we actually get young people, young children to start embodying aspects of humanity that are good for the world out there. So to mm. see the work and then to see the evidence, I think definitely gives me hope. Um, and yeah, I you know I I feel like change happens slow and steadily, but that we, it can happen. So the hope continues to remain at what propels us constantly. Mm. Thank you, Tavishi, for sharing that positive uh, development and and those points of hope. Um, I think that it's so easy that when we're not, you know. Uh, in the research and and seeing all of this evidence, it's so easy to get overwhelmed with with all the news and and hearing about how young men today tend to you know promote inequality more than than before, and it can be very hopeful uh, hopeless. And and I think this this just brings hope, and I really appreciate that. Um, so you are a, a busy leader within the field of gender equality, um, creating change through research and and so many different aspects um, of work and um, being a parent yourself. Do you have a self-care practice um, that that you sort of uh, hold on to that keeps giving you energy and motivation? Indeed, uh, multiple self-care practices. Uh, I think one will never ever suffice enough. Um, I think being a caregiver, being a full-time worker, um, as you said, a change maker, um, is itself quite time consuming. But I live near family, so social connection to me is quite an important aspect of how I re-energize myself, remind myself of what's important, what's at stake, 
who I work for, um, you know, why I want to create this kind of change in the world. Um, in addition to that, often simple things like watching the rainfall and the leaves rustle. So being in nature is quite a energy booster for me. And I really love that, even though I live in a very, very populated city uh, in Delhi, India. But finding those little moments of, um, you know, nature's own way of kind of recharging our bodies and souls is one of the ways in which I, I find a little bit of peace and comfort. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. So what advice would you have for others who feel, you know, compelled to um, get into a career or to take action towards driving more positive change in the world? But what advice would you have for them? I think the first one is please start. You know, there'll never be a good enough time. I think um, I think everybody's motivations to be in this work are quite different. We often at Equimundo share what got us into this, this career path, and it's always quite different. But everybody's deeply passionate. And so if you have that passion and desire, I think immediately please please start. That's that's the first one. The second one I think is there's already a lot of work being done. And I think that it's important for us to come into this work with wanting to push the field to come up with learnings that have not already been learned. So we shouldn't be reinventing the wheel. We should not be repeating research and spending resources just for the sake of doing that. And I think that's quite an important kind of mission for me is that if it already exists, let's not sort of you know do it all over again. What more and what new can you contribute? Um, and I think that sort of ties into a lot of what I said earlier, which is, it's just incredible to see the amount of people who are doing work in this field. Um, and it's, I, and I mean the gender field, the gender equality field. It's part of all, you know, thematic priorities um, in the current state of world today. So recognizing that and then creating something more to be able to sort of create the change that you want to create, I think would be my second piece of advice. Please start and then think of doing what you can to push the field beyond what it's already doing. Mm, amazing. Thank you for sharing that inspiration. And um, I think we'll feel even more motivated to make our mark in the world. And um, thanks for sharing all of the research. And we look forward to digging even deeper into it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was lovely speaking with you. Thank you for joining me in this episode of the Hey Changemaker podcast. I want to express my sincere gratitude to Dr. Tavishi Gupta for sharing her invaluable insights into the intricate world of gender norms and caregiving responsibilities. To learn more about Equimundo and their impactful work, be sure to visit equimundo.org. It's a chance to dive deeper into the research and initiatives that are driving positive change. And as always, you can find all our episodes, leave comments, nominate a guest, and subscribe to the Hey Changemaker podcast at girlsglobe.org changemaker. Your involvement in our community is what fuels our mission. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to help us reach more change makers please take a moment to rate and subscribe to our podcast on your preferred platform your support means the world to us thank you for being part of the hey change maker community together we're making a meaningful impact on the world until next time remember how incredibly powerful you are change maker <laughs>